Welcome to the Tin Lounge. You've stumbled on one of our short episodes called The Mini Bar, where we discuss a current relevant topic pertaining to the travel industry. I'm Teresa, owner of Get Out Custom Travels and creator of Fam with Intention. And I'm Kareem, creator of Travel Biz Boss and co-owner of Journey's Travel Company. We won't let you leave without some headlines, so stay with us until the end for excess baggage. So I know we've been MIA for the past couple of weeks. Yes. For good reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) First, it was Hurricane Ian. Mm -hmm. And then it was I was away. So it was purely my fault. No, you were going to try to pull it together during the hurricane week. But I also wasn't feeling great. So we were like, eh, let's just take a break. But it's funny because somebody I was doing a Travel Joy setup consultation with recently uh, we were just talking about juggling all of the different projects. And she's like, I don't know how you do it, but you better not give up the podcast. And I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not going anywhere. And then immediately we took two weeks off. So she's probably mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back. But I just spent a little less than a week in Dubai for T-Fest. And I know some, some of y'all might have heard about T-Fest, but it's organized by this organization called Private Luxury Events. And they do, I think, 15 shows a year. So you may have heard of Private Luxury Forum. They were in the Bahamas recently. For that, they also have Amour, which is more romance travel related. I'll be headed over to Amour next week for that show. But I will have to say that as the years pass with me in the industry, the level of industry conferences I attend, as well as the goals and the way we connect at these events has completely changed from the conferences I used to attend when I first started in the industry. So when mm-hmm. I first started, you know, it was it was these conferences where anyone could attend and just pay the fee, anyone could attend. And in the beginning, I feel like it was helpful for me to just, here you go, in the sea of people you don't know learn as much as you can and make as many connections. But then as the years go on and you want to start elevating and progressing and things like that, I feel like I started to have like an itch for conferences that were out of the ordinary, that, that wasn't like your run of the mill kind of experience. I think the difference is the conferences that are like, everyone is welcome, just pay your fee and you can come. They're rushed they're um, superficial. And I don't mean that in like a rude way. I just mean you can only scratch the surface really with Mm -hmm. the time that you have. It's not easy to create the types of relationships that you can at a smaller vetted conference. Uh, I think there's a lot of clutter with just those initial getting to know you. Whereas at the conferences where you're vetted, the attendees, like in terms of suppliers and BDMs, DMCs, all that, they probably already have a profile on you because you've shared information. Just sort of, you can cut right to relationship building. And I think that's so, so valuable. A lot of times at these very large conferences, I feel like Yes, you talk to a bunch of people, but how many people do you actually remember and how many Mm -hmm. people actually remember you? So the more intimate shows, I feel like we don't specifically talk about business. Sure, there's a time and place for my agencies based out of here. And similar to what you said, like they do already have the background information that I submitted when I applied. So they already know basics about me. And 
I just really loved getting to know the actual person versus the company they represent because Mm -hmm. the actual person is what makes that come like they're the representatives for that particular company, but I want to get to know who I'm working with, you know? And so being able to find that common ground, asking questions that are, you know, not just what countries do you service or, you know, what, level of service do you provide? Sure. You can find that. You can ask that as well, but to be like, Oh, I I met my wife here and our son is currently going to school here. I remember I had a meeting with um, a company that serviced East Africa for safari experiences. And at T-Fest, we sat at a little crafting corner and made beaded bracelets. And so I was making a bracelet for him. He was making one for me. And as we were making these bracelets, we were talking about, our perspective businesses, but also, you know, our lives and how we came into the industry. So it was such another level of connection. I love that. And I was telling you before we started recording, because I got the whole scoop, um, that (laughs) I always hesitate to say when people ask me, what is your most, what's the most valuable conference you go to or event? And for me, it is the top producer retreat for our host agency, TPI. And I don't think that's a fair, I can't recommend someone, you know, you have to, that's Mm -hmm. something that takes a long time to earn and whatever. And I don't, so I don't like to tell people that, but the truth of the matter is the relationships that are created at this event are game changers. I mean, so, so valuable, especially when the rubber hits the road and you really need something. I also feel like events like this, Yes, there are usually some sales thresholds, but you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to be a million dollar advisor. They're looking for personality traits, potential. They're looking for other qualities too. So I think, you know, thankfully you have the audacity to go for whatever it is you want. (laughs) And I love that so much about you. And I think a lot of people are too shy or afraid of rejection or whatever the case is, but I wish that they wouldn't be because these vetted events where you have to apply and be accepted are, I think, going to give you the most bang for the buck. And I mean, a lot of them are hosted, so there is no buck, but like the time investment, the resource investment Mm -hmm. will be so much more worth it if you're just not afraid to show the potential that you have and demonstrate your goals and what you're looking to do. You don't, you don't have to be a top producer to get into some really, really good events. The worst they can say is no. And it's a no, whether even if you don't apply, it's still a no. So that is something that I always thought to myself since I first started, even if I only meet, you know, 60% of what their requirement is, I still apply because I know that, it's a risk that I'm taking um, to put myself out there. But if they say yes, then amazing. Like I get to attend an event or I can I get to be part of something that will further elevate my business. And every single time I've taken that risk, it's always paid off. So don't be afraid to apply, take that time um, because in the end, it's definitely going to open your eyes, not just to suppliers you may not otherwise come into contact with, but also people around the world. And I feel like that's my one of my favorite parts is just making those contacts. 
Yes. And I also will tell you that it doesn't matter how much you have sold, you're still going to be nervous about applying for things. So Mm -hmm. just go for it regardless. That's never going to change, but practice does help. And I think the more you go for it, the more comfortable you'll feel going for it. And if you can just get into one of these things, it will be an amazing experience for you. 100% agree. And also prep yourself mentally and emotionally. I'm super introverted (laughs) by nature. I just make myself, you know, whenever I'm out doing, you know, business related things, I just make myself open up and put myself out there. And even though it's really scary to, you know, try and connect with strangers, I feel like that would only, it has only helped my business grow and not just my business, but also myself personally to develop that part of me and moving forward. Yeah. Yep. Well, before we jump into our discussion this week, we want to give a shout out to our podcast network, Travis Market Media. Head on over to Travis Market Media, but where you can find other amazing podcasts to grow and build your business. First on the docket is from Travel Pulse. And it's about how travelers are prioritizing solid customer service, which is an obvious thing. But also as advisors, we are also prioritizing customer service from Mm -hmm. our vendors. Um, According to the World Travel and Tourism Council, the tourism GDP in Latin America reports a regional increase of 48.2% in 2021. So it is expected to be a great year of recovery. One of the critical areas that every holiday season puts tourism service providers to the test is excellent customer service, as it is a determining factor in building customer loyalty. So uh, they give some stats here. According to Zendesk's CX Trends 2022 study, and if you haven't had an opportunity to have a Zendesk experience, um, <laughs> I know I have because a lot of our suppliers use that in terms of messaging. I think Traveljoy also utilizes Zendesk for their um, yep. customer management. But uh, according to the 2022 study, quality customer service personnel play an increasingly important role in organizations. 61% of customers reveal that they would switch to a competitor after just one bad experience, while 76% indicate that they would leave if they had two negative experiences, which makes Perfect sense, according to this article, as solid customer service is not just about finding a quick solution to any customer problem, but about building a long-term relationship. And this makes me think on my interactions with different suppliers. Mm -hmm. You know, how many times have you worked with a supplier you work with for years, and then you get one really awful experience where they really drop the ball? I know my first thought is never again, never again. It goes one of two ways for me. It's either never again or something about the way they handle that situation actually builds more trust. Mm-hmm. And then I am actually more confident. And I feel the same way with my clients. Sometimes right. something going wrong is actually an opportunity for me to show them my integrity and it builds a stronger relationship. But it's definitely one extreme or the other. Either mm-hmm. you're dead to me or I love you more. Yeah. I think we understand that mistakes happen because we have made mistakes before in dealing with our clients. Like we have, but like you said, how 
we react to those mistakes, what we do to solve those problems is what really speaks to us and our suppliers for customer service. And if they're not able to fix their mistake or they pass the blame to someone or willing to me, I'm like, no, like I would prefer you take responsibility and hold yourself accountable for what you did um, versus saying, oh no, it wasn't us. It was, you know, someone else. Yep. I, I prefer you take responsibility for that and then figure out a way to make things right. Yep. They said actually, surprisingly, according to the study, 54% of respondents believe that serving customers with quality is the last thing on the minds of most of the companies they buy from. At the same time, 68% believe that most companies should improve the training of their agents who are in contact with consumers and provide good customer service. And I think we're sort of at a like that COVID fatigue point right now too, where people are tired of hearing that places are understaffed, even though it is the reality, but it just seems to inflame situations worse if that mm. is the reason given. So this article provides um, some simple tips for identifying whether or not you have good customer, whether or not that company is going to provide good customer service to you from your first interaction. So um, when you contact the company of your choice to ask for information or make a reservation, check that they have several options to do so and that you are the one who selects the one that suits you best and not that which the service provider imposes on you. So you can, for example, this is the example they gave. You can choose between a phone call, a conversation on WhatsApp, a chat, et cetera. Like you get to make that decision of how you'd like to reach out. I agree. And I'm always, well, I think even more so now in Mexico because of the language barrier, like my Spanish is getting pretty good, but a phone call is not going to happen. I need to see all the context clues. So Mm -hmm. I actually used a tip from Teresa and found my electric company on Twitter and started a chat there. But I, so I, on the one hand, I believe you should, uh, you can train your clients to follow your own process. There also has to be some flexibility. So while I encourage my clients to email or schedule a phone call, I, I don't cut off all other avenues. I want to give mm-hmm. my, some of my clients want to chat on the phone. I do not, but if they're phone people, they're phone people, <laughs> yeah. and I just have to make it happen. So, you know, we need to consider our clients' preferred communication option. We can push them toward our pre- preference, but it's best if we can offer like a hybrid option if it's tech you like or if you want a human voice on the phone, whatever that is, you should mm-hmm. make that available. And also, some other things to keep in mind is. When you reach out to the company and, you know, you need time to think about certain things, when you reach back out again, do you have to repeat yourself or do they have all the information that they need from your previous conversation? Yeah. Repeating myself is like, say, if it's on something written, I have copy and pasted. Uh, I have it on my clipboard if I need to retell all the details. But if you're on the phone, it's not really possible. So most of the time now when I call in for suppliers... I'm just like, do you have any notes from our previous conversation? Like before I start explaining everything, I'll just say, I called this particular day. Are there any notes in my file? And they'll read the notes and then I'll be like, okay, I see 
what the issue is, or I see where we, what the, you know, what you're trying to get fixed. Did they take a long time to respond? Um, did you communicate outside of office hours and, um, did you come into communication with one of their bots right. to try and help your situation? I have found that these bots, they're supposed to help with efficiency and make you feel like you're being heard, but I've never gotten my question answered from a bot. Representative. Representative. <laughs> Zero. 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 Operator. As, as there is a, there, I think occasionally I do like, speaking of Zendesk, that you mm-hmm. can put in a search criteria and it'll try to get you to some so that does help me from time to time that will answer my question typically if I'm at a point mm-hmm. where I'm on chat I'm beyond that because I've already googled exactly. and searched the that university was what of YouTube I was and say. all of that yes. yeah so when you reach out whether it's from a human or a bot is the communication channel is it clear um yeah. can you reach them via instant messenger all these different things really do play a role in customer service and getting what you need done. Because in the end, that's really why you're reaching out because you either have a request, have a problem. And I've been trying to shift my mentality in thinking like when I, when I need something fixed and I reach out to someone, they want to help me versus yep. thinking they're trying to hinder me in getting an obstacle. Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to change my mindset because then I approach it a little bit differently. And I say, they want to help me as much as I need help. So change the narrative. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember whatever you're looking for as in terms of good customer service, your clients are probably doing the same. So mm-hmm. make sure you are offering similar options to your clients. Our next article today is from Travel Age West. We're going to go full Caribbean from here on out. This is called Must Try Food Tours and Experiences in the Caribbean. I feel like Foodie tourism is so huge right now. I know that food is a huge part of my travel experience. Um, And so this article, which is linked in the show notes, of course, does highlight some interesting food experiences that people can find in the Caribbean. And I love this because I tend to start only thinking of this stuff in Europe. I don't really think on Mexico, of course. But in the Caribbean in general, there's like a handful of things you think, oh, you got to try this. I think there are probably a lot more unique cuisine-based experiences, such as uh, this one says, in Nevis, visitors can sample traditional dishes when they explore with Nevis Sun Tours. The company's village food tour includes tastings and a tour of the picturesque town of Barnes Gout, I'm going to say. And then they have a cooking with Ross Iroy tour that features a visit to a Rastafarian farm to harvest ingredients to prepare in clay pots. That is my jam. Uh, In neighboring St. Kitts, it says that at the St. Kitts Marriott Resort and the Royal Beach Casino, they've partnered with Sunlink to offer a variety of tours, including a sugar heritage and culture tour that treats participants to a range of local snacks while taking them to old sugar mills and the historic Brimstone Hill Fortress. So what I'm seeing from this is a lot of it incorporates like walking tours and yes. then they've partnered Perfect. with a lot of local eateries to be able to provide samples while you're enjoying like a city tour. Yep. 
So um, this one also says the Nassau Paradise Island offers a walking tour, bites of Nassau food tasting and cultural walking tour. Barbados has one. I feel like a lot of the vendors that we use for excursions, there's always some kind of food and drink tour. Yes. That's available. It's usually the first thing I'm looking for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I will say though, I love food tours. I don't love cooking classes. I love cooking classes. I prefer to watch people cook and see. I love learning. Yeah. I love learning how a dish is made, not because I want to go home and make it, but because it's just a curiosity thing. Like I want to see how you make that. And then I will eat that at the end, but I don't want to do actual cooking. That's not, that's not for me. Yeah. I like this at the colony club by elegant hotels and Barbados. They do cuisine and spirit pairings, which is another thing that I love. They have different theme dinners and uh, the dining events are created by Chef Wayne Maynard, and they feature rum and chocolate pairings. That sounds amazing. In Grenada, visitors can delight their taste buds with Savor the Spice. This is a tour company with a wide range of programs. They have tastings with the walking tour, like we discussed, and then they also have one, Savor the Country and Falls, and that's a six-hour tour through the rainforest with visits to estates and gardens for spice tastings, as well as the cooking class. So that one's not for Teresa, but it is for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the hotels, like the, especially if they're like the higher-end ones, there is a concierge available for you to reach out to to find maybe these specialized experiences too. Mm-hmm. Maybe the hotel is partnered with a company or a local eatery or something where they can offer something like this. So this article also ends with talking about an experience where you're mixing Hollywood glamour with cuisine. Mm-hmm. So the ocean club in the Bahamas, uh, they have a 007 secret menu experience created to commemorate the 60th anniversary of the resort and the first James Bond film. And it features a seven course dinner inspired by a name for a different bond film. And it's an elegant way to enjoy a vacation. Quote unquote, shaken, not stirred. Shaken, not stirred. Did you know, maybe some of you know this, but there was a reason that James Bond ordered his martini shaken, not stirred. When you shake the martini, apparently the alcohol does not rise to the top. It like stays on the bottom of the glass. So when he's sipping it, he's actually not sipping the alcohol. So he can remain unhindered or he he won't get drunk from drinking the martini because he has to stay attentive. Whereas if you stir it, it mixes the alcohol through the entire drink. Oh, okay. I read that on the internet. I don't have a resource to cite, but <laughs> it sounds like it's an actual thing. It does. So. <laughs> it sounds totally believable. Our last article is from Travel Pulse, and it's the best places for water sports in the Caribbean. Uh, so once again, we're remaining in the Caribbean and mm-hmm. obviously there are so many water sports. It's surrounded by water. Um, so the first one they talk about is Aruba. And I don't know if you have been to Aruba, but I love Aruba. I didn't expect yeah. to, um, because Same. I'm not a big Caribbean person, but oh my goodness, there's so many things to do there. And the one specific thing I did was I, I went on a catamaran 
tour that also included snorkeling. It took you to a shipwreck or something and you can snorkel. And I'm not a big snorkeler. I'm kind of afraid of open water. Uh, So the catamaran ride was definitely something that was up my alley (laughs) to do. (laughs) But um, Aruba has beautiful reef, um, great marine life, and they have a lot of opportunity for scuba diving. And then it lists in this article numerous ecosystems and reef where people can go diving. They do say that diving is not recommended for beginners here because of the strong currents. So this is not some place you want to send someone to try out diving, but experts can enjoy watching a lot of species and it is recommended to reach baby beach where you could find the sunken boat. Probably the one you mentioned. Maybe. I remember I was like, I'm just going to jump in the water and look underwater to see if I can see it. But the area where that uh, ship was, um, it was scuttled. They purposely sunk the ship. Oh, it was in open water. So I feel like it was extra choppy there and it was deeper. So it was dark. So I stuck my head underwater. I maybe swam out like six feet max from the catamaran. And when I looked down, when I finally saw the outline of the ship, it felt like it came out of nowhere. So it freaked me out for a hot second. And then I quickly swam back to the catamaran. My sister loved it though. She swam the entire length of the, of the ship. And yeah. So that was my experience in open water. (laughs) Puerto Rico is the next place. Um, Kayaking is one of the most popular activities in Puerto Rico and it's very family friendly. And I think they have bioluminescent kayaking there as well, which is which is a great one. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we have that here in, like, when we kayak out here in Tampa Bay and also in Key West, there's also bioluminescent stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'd imagine they would have something like that. They also have kite surfing, paddle surfing, and they do, like, volleyball and soccer on the beaches. And in the Dominican Republic, I've had quite the tour there where it was like a party boat. I did swim with sharks and stingrays, which I was practically hyperventilating. And I think I did it because I was traveling alone with a group of travel advisors. And somehow I was just like, I'm not missing this opportunity. And mm-hmm. it was crazy. And then they took, then the, after the snorkeling, the drinks started flowing. So I like that little uh, combination there. Do a little something that challenges your fears and then get to the cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> but fishing is also really big there, sport fishing. So if you have sport fishermen, Dominican Republic is a great option. And this is so nice, I feel like, because um, a lot of folks who go to the Caribbean, they mostly just stay at their resort. Unless you provide them some options for leaving the resort um, or some other things they can do outside of their hotel. So this gives you a lot of great options to provide to your clients, Um, you know, for things like, hey, you might be interested in in fishing in the DR. Yeah. And it's good for you to have an idea. If a client comes to you, they're like, I want it because you hear this a lot. I just want somewhere hot, tropical, whatever. And you're like, okay, kayaking's for Puerto Rico. Sport fishing is Dominican Republic. I don't know if that's in this article. No, it's not. But Belize is for caving. You know, if you have a general idea of these main popular things in each region, mm-hmm. you can, if they don't have a destination picked out, you can find out what their interests are and that will help you. And then you look like a rock star because you know where to go for mm-hmm. those things. 
Yeah, absolutely. Apparently sailing is for Jamaica. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jamaica is another place where it's just, we're going to go stay at the resort, maybe one day go to Dunn's river or, you know, really basic excursions, but offer sailing and tell them the most popular routes are through the Cascades of Dunn's River Falls and among the Montego Bay area where you can snorkel the reef. Um, and apparently this one place has a trampoline, maybe over That's the water, fun. you know, like trampoline into the water. <laughs> and there's another one where you can sail along the coast of Negril. And so you can dive in the coral reefs and meet green turtles and rays. And a lot of these also have bar service and food on board. So it's a great day. That's for me. I don't really want to be in open water. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Along the coast, let me see land. (laughs) Yeah, I will drink an Aruba Reba on the catamaran while I wait. (laughs) All right, are we ready for some excess baggage? I'm ready. Okay, it's time for excess baggage, which is a speed round of headlines that are pretty self-explanatory. So you can learn a lot in just a couple of minutes. According to Travel Pulse, Disneyland's Disney 100 Years of Wonder celebration is coming January 2023. Disney parks around the world will mark the occasion, but Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, California, home to the original Disneyland Park, will be at the center of the centenary celebration. With limited time, commemorative offerings, experiences, entertainment, merchandise, and food and beverage on offer throughout the resorts all year long. Another one from them says that Hong Kong is trying to entice travelers with free air tickets. Travel Weekly reports that Heathrow will lift the passenger cap, but Schiphol's has been extended. They also report that Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings is anticipating a surge in direct bookings. The company said it is investing in direct business after noticing an accelerated shift toward more direct bookings during the pandemic. And CLH says it sees a significant opportunity to increase its direct online bookings, a very low cost and attractive channel. Hmm. An article from Travel Age West says another luxury hotelier is entering the cruise market. Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts is collaborating with luxury shipping experts Mark Henry Cruise Holdings LTD to craft Four Seasons Yachts. The first vessel of a planned fleet is scheduled to come online at the end of 2025, with two more planned over the next five years. The brand will be helmed by cruise industry veteran Larry Pimentel. Travel Agent Central reports that Travel Industry Solutions, a warranted legal contracts and waiver solution for travel advisors, and Travify, an itinerary proposal and client management tool, have partnered to bring legal contracts and protections to travel advisors through one-click integration. What it means, members of TIS and Travify can now readily access and easily implement TIS's client terms and conditions, travel insurance waivers, and other essential agreements they need to not only mitigate risk, but ensure continuous legal protection. They also report that the Caribbean Hotel and Tourism Association has plans to launch a certified Caribbean travel advisor expert program set to debut next year. The program will aim to unify all of the various regional destination and brand specialist programs so that advisors can better know and sell the region as a whole. According to Travel Market Report, Carnival Cruise Line is partnering with the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex to design a children's space program with activities inspired by NASA science. The new program, part of the line's Camp Ocean lineup, will launch this November aboard Carnival Celebration. Another one from them reports that ALG Vacations has released its new Travel Advisor Specialist Program, ALGB Pro. The program, which is now live, 
gives advisors insight into the ALGB overall brand, how to use VAX vacation access, better ways to manage group bookings and details on ALGB policies and platforms. And our high note today is from afar. The CDC has ended COVID-related country-specific travel advisories. And that's it for Excess Baggage. Just a reminder that all the articles we referenced today can be found in the show notes. Please remember that we didn't write the news, we're just sharing it. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and or share the show. Also, head on over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are both under the Tin Lounge. We'll link them in the show notes. Have any questions, comments, or just want to say hello, please shoot us a DM or email us at hello at the tinlounge.com. We will see you next week. Don't jinx us. Bye.